everyone, Ali here, and I'm glad to welcome you all back to my section. This is where I take you on an immersive trip to a Russia of the past with the help of personal correspondence of its dwellers. I have an assumption that letters depict history and culture of their time a bit more accurately than textbooks might do that. And I guess we'll check that in this very episode. And while you're tuning in, don't forget to check out the links in our socials and description. Give us a follow on Instagram and rate this podcast on whatever platform you choose to join us. This would really, really support us. What comes to your mind when you hear the words Russian Empire? We haven't talked about it in our podcast and I'm really eager to hear your thoughts. So maybe you might write it in the comments. I will describe where my mind goes. I imagine an emperor or an empress who can do whatever they wish. I see oppressed peasants whose liberation the rulers had been discussing for centuries, but it only really happened in the middle of the 19th century. I see officers who speak French and wear strict, elegant uniforms. What is more, I imagine officers who were not ready to put up with injustice, who were not against the oppression of the peasants, autocracy and tyranny. Today, I will tell you about the Decembrists Revolt, literally translated from Russian as the Uprising of Decembrists. It took place in December of 1825 and had a potential of becoming a turning point in Russian history. What most people don't know is that Lev Tolstoy, the author of War and Peace, originally wanted to write a novel about the Decembrists, but in order to fully understand the context, he began to study the war between France and Russia, which Napoleon began in 1812. He wrote, But even in 1825, my character was already a mature family man. To understand him, I had to travel back to the age of his youth. And his youth coincided with the glorious for Russia age of 1812. Once again, I gave up what I had started and began writing about the year of 1812. The smell and sound of which are still close and dear to us, but it is now so remote that we can think about it calmly. And this is understandable. Indeed, after the victory over Napoleon, the Russian army set off on a liberation campaign throughout Europe. As a result, the Russian army of many thousands came straight to Paris. For the first time, young Russian officers saw European life and realized how different it was from what they were used to. They saw that there was no serfdom in France and that the French had much more civil liberties and respect for each other. They found it unfair that the Russian Empire didn't live like this. It was these young Russian officers who later became the Decembrists. How were they going to change the country? First of all, they wanted to establish a constitution in Russia, abolish serfdom and make all people equal before the law. It was not a uniform movement. Some saw the solution in revolutionary changes, others insisted on creation. Some said that Russia should become a republic, others argued that the country was not ready for this. Here's what the participants of the Decembrist societies Ivan Yakushkin writes about the mood within them. 
For two years, we were witnesses and in some way participants of all these great events that decided the destinies of people. Now, it is unbelievable to look at the empty Petersburg life and listen to the chatter of all people who praised everything old and condemned any progress. We were a hundred years ahead of them. So what are we looking at? Russian officers who had just seen Europe and returned to old Russia, where Emperor Alexander I was in no hurry to carry out important reforms. In all major cities, there were various secret societies where young people talked about culture and society, offered ideas on how to change the country, and studied philosophy and poetry. In every society, there was a secret emperor's agent who informed him about the thoughts of the officers. But Alexander did not repress these small societies in any way accepting the domestic opposition. Some of them understood that the emperor was not going to carry out any reforms. That was why they began drafting a plan for the armed overthrow of Alexander I. They got together, thought over the military coup and a plan of action after the seizure of power and the reorganization of the state. They also understood that in order for this plan to work, they had to find the right time. And they did find it. Imagine, December. 1825, it is cold and it's snowing. Alexander I, who was in the south of Russia, died. This took everyone in St. Petersburg by surprise. Both the statesmen and the first Russian oppositionists found this situation very unexpected. For statesmen, it was quite a blow because that meant the appointment of the new emperor and it was not clear at all who that would be. Alexander had no children, so the eldest of his brothers, Konstantin, was to inherit the throne. But Konstantin abdicated the throne when he married a woman from a simple family. The younger brother, Nikolai, was supposed to be the heir, but documents about this were not published. Because of this, many courtiers began making a fuss about the unclear situation with the throne. The Decembrists took advantage of the disarray. They had been waiting for the right moment for a very long time, but by the time it arrived, they were not yet done with all the preparations. The leaders of the Decembrists started devising the ways to withdraw the regiments and the overall plan. The Decembrists managed to bring the troops to the square where they expected to witness the oath of the emperor. During the oath, they planned to demand the adoption of a constitution in Russia. But to their regret, they were late and the ceremony was already over. The oath had been taken and there was no one else on the square. The officers didn't know what to do next, so they just ordered the troops to stay at the square. In the meantime, they were being surrounded by the government troops. One by one, the plans of the Decembrists collapsed, and their leaders were not ready to take drastic measures. The Decembrists themselves wrote later that they didn't want to shed blood. That's why they ordered the soldiers to fire mainly into the air. The state troops did the same. According to historians, about 80 people died on that square. Not as many as could have, given the oppositional moods among the Decembrists. By the way, about the soldiers, if you think they knew what they were really fighting for, you're mistaken. The Decembrists believed that if they found loyal soldiers, they would follow the movements led by trust and faith without being agitated. In fact, they lied to the soldiers if they felt like they had to. For instance, the Decembrists told the troops that they were supporting the fair succession to the throne and believed that Constantine should be their emperor, not Nicholas. 
Gradually, the forces of the Decembrists were becoming more and more scarce. The uprising was suppressed and they were up for trial. 19th century Russian courts were not the same as the 21st century Russian courts. They were quite fair. It was important for the new emperor Nicholas I to show himself as an honest ruler, just and merciful. They organized a judicial commission to deal with the case of the Decembrists. Before that, there were no such precedents in history. However, testimony was not always obtained in an honest and fair way. Here's how the Decembrists' Lunion described the investigation. They demanded immediate and detailed answers. They promised an emperor's pardon for frankness, denied excuses, resorted to threats and insults to force testimony or confessions on others. Those who were silent were deprived of light in the dungeon, exhausted with hunger and bundled with chains. The doctor was instructed to see how many injuries the convicted could endure. Well, some methods of investigation have nevertheless reached our present time. But what did the investigation show? More than 120 people who took part in the uprising were sentenced to hard labor. 36 were sentenced to death. Many were exiled. However, the emperor pardoned most of the participants. As a result, five were executed and the rest were forced into hard labor. There are legends about last words of the executed Decembrists. One of them, Rileyev, said, Father, pray for our sinful souls, do not forget my wife and bless my daughter. And those words are attributed to another Decembrist, Pestev. What is sowed must grow and one day it will grow inevitably. Beautiful words, right? Now the Decembrists are called the first Russian oppositionists. No, of course, before them there were people trying to overthrow the monarch in order to take his peace, but the Decembrists were the first who did not oppose a certain emperor. They opposed the idea of Russian slavery and the unlimited power of one person. The Decembrists came out to the St. Petersburg Square because their heart ached for their motherland. But then the Decembrists were defeated and there were still almost 40 years left until the abolition of serfdom and 80 years until the introduction of the constitution. The reign of Nicholas I was not particularly full of freedom. He was very afraid of social unheaval and domestic opposition, which is why he didn't carry out any crucial reforms for the country. In 1826, Peter Kachowski, one of the leaders of the uprising, wrote a letter to Emperor Nicholas in which he described the underlying reasons against his reign. And this is the cause of the struggles in our countries. People, having left the sweetness of enlightenment and freedom, strive for them. The governments, shielded by millions of bayonets, try to push the people into the darkness of ignorance. But all their efforts are in vain. Impressions once gained never leave people's minds. Freedom, this beacon of the mind, the warmth of life has always and everywhere been the heritage of people who have emerged from ignorance. And we cannot live like our ancestors, neither like barbarians nor like slaves. Kachowski was executed along with other leaders of the uprising. And no matter how sad it was for me to recognize myself in the Decembrists who lived two centuries ago in my homeland, I believe that all of that was not in vain. Their speeches encouraged the authorities to change. Maybe slowly, maybe reluctantly, but still. I believe in it. Because nothing happens in vain. <laughs>
At the same time, as bright as the names of brave Decembrists shine the name of their wives, who were nicknamed the Decembrists, do not fade. The story goes that when the officers were sent to cold Siberia and sentenced to hard labor, their wives followed them. There were 11 of them. These women refused to divorce their husbands, lost their noble privileges, some of them even had to part with their children. Moreover, they were forbidden to return back to the European part of Russia for the rest of their lives. Despite the fact that this decision imposed so many bans and restrictions on the shoulders of young brides and wives, this brave act can be considered as of one of the first attempts of a Russian woman to choose her own destiny, which in addition did not comply with the state order. This case of Russian women's bravery is captured not only on the pages of national history, but also in the artistic heritage. Nikolai Alexeyevich Nikrasov, a Russian writer and poet, dedicated his poem Russian Women to the Decembrists' wives. The Decembrist uprising is also featured in modern cinema in the film called Union of Salvation, which can help reconstruct and visualize the event of those times. And another episode turned out to be kind of sad and bitter. Hey, I promise to tell you about something fun next time. About the Merry Russian Winter, perhaps. How do you like this idea? Today, you learned about the Decembrist uprising that took place almost two centuries ago. One of the central events of Russian culture which continues to influence our country even nowadays. I hope you find this episode informative and you'll join me on my journey next time. To do this, don't forget to subscribe to Babushka and rate this episode. Maybe even write a comment. And before I say my goodbyes, I feel like it's very important to name everyone who has been working on this podcast. Anne, our producer. Altenai, our operator manager. Veronika, our culturologist. Palina, our sound editor. Catherine, our translator and editor. Vlad, our script writer. Daria, our editor, Anton, our sound designer, and me, the speaker of this podcast. And also, I would like to make a quick shout out to Vlad, our scriptwriter. He worked on this project so hard and he wrote all these beautiful texts that I could read and pass along to you guys. And he actually is working now on a new project and leaving us and... The Babushka Podcast wishes you, Vlad, the best of luck and we have no doubt that you're going to do amazing. So thank you very much for being with us. And also thank you, our listener, for being with us. This was the Babushka Podcast and I'll see you next time.